0: chapter 11 of the autobiography of an electron by charles r gibson this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter 11 how we reproduce speech the scribe's note on chapter 11 in the first part of this chapter the electron explains the part it plays in ordinary telephony the reader will picture the transmitting instrument at the one end of the line influencing the receiving instrument at the distant end towards the end of the chapter the electron turns its attention to the newer subject of wireless telephony which has been accomplished now over a distance of several hundred miles end of scribe's note my scribe suggested a rather clumsy title for this chapter electrons versus atoms as carriers of speech i expect he made this suggestion without much thought for there are two serious objections to such a title in the first place we are not carriers of speech we are controlled by speech at one end of the telephone line and we make a reproduction of the speech at the distant end of the line no sound passes between the two places there is only a movement of electrons along the connecting line My second objection to the hurriedly suggested title is that it is hardly fair to make any comparison between the achievements of atoms of matter and those of ourselves. We are not in the same category as atoms. Besides, we electrons are dependent entirely upon the material atoms for making our work useful to man. For instance, we might keep on making waves in the ether for all time, And yet, if the atoms of matter were to pay no heed to those imperceptible waves, man would never be aware of their presence. Indeed, we electrons act solely as go-betweens. On the other hand, it is only fair to ourselves to point out that a group of atoms in one town could never communicate with a group of atoms in a distant town unless we electrons came to their aid. It is true that over a very short distance the atoms may communicate directly. For instance, if a heavy blow is given to a large gong, the atoms of metal may vibrate so energetically that they succeed in disturbing the atoms of gas of the surrounding atmosphere for some considerable distance. But in the case of speech, the speaker cannot supply any great energy, so that he can disturb the atmosphere only to a very limited distance. We electrons, however, can do yeoman's service in this respect we have enabled men to speak to one another over immense distances the whole affair is very simple man speaks and causes the atmospheric atoms to vibrate and impinge upon a light disc or diaphragm in a simple instrument which man has named the telephone this vibrating disc presses upon a myriad of carbon particles contained in a small case or box the disc forming one side of the box When these carbon particles are pressed together, we electrons can get across more easily from atom to atom. There is a battery urging us forward, but our motion is dependent entirely upon the manner in which the vibrating disk presses upon the carbon particles. I cannot describe our movement in the line-wire as a march. It is, in reality, a surging to and fro. You will understand that this to-and-fro motion of the electrons in the line wire varies according to the vibrations of the sending disk, which is controlled by the speaker's voice. At the distant end of the line, we electrons bring our magnetic powers into action. We keep varying the attractive powers of an electromagnet according to the motion of the electrons in the wire. This ever-changing magnet produces vibrations in an iron disk which is fixed close to the magnet. This disk is set vibrating in exact sympathy with the sending disk. When the listener places this receiving disk close to his ear, the vibrations are carried by the atmospheric atoms to his hearing apparatus. All that we electrons have done is to cause one disk to vibrate in exact synchrony with another distant disk. But that is all that is required for the receiving disc will reproduce similar air vibrations to those set up by the man's voice at the distant place i have pointed out already that we do not attempt to carry the sound it is true that the atoms of matter do the hard work but it is we electrons who enable a group of atoms in one town to communicate with a group of atoms in a distant town IT WAS NATURAL THAT AS SOON AS MAN FOUND THAT HE COULD WORK HIS TELEGRAPH INSTRUMENTS WITHOUT THE AID OF CONNECTING WIRES, HE SHOULD TRY TO DO THE SAME WITH HIS TELEPHONE INSTRUMENTS. WE WERE SORRY WHEN WE FOUND MEN TRYING TO USE THE ORIGINAL SPARK TELEGRAPHY METHODS FOR TELEPHONES. WHILE WE HAD NO DIFFICULTY IN OPERATING A TELEGRAPH INSTRUMENT BY MEANS OF ETHER WAVES AND THE TUBE OF FILINGS, IT WAS QUITE IMPOSSIBLE FOR US TO PRODUCE TELEPHONE vibrations ON THE SAME PRINCIPLE this spark method was a too rough and ready plan. The waves we produced were like sudden splashes in the ether ocean, whereas we knew that we must produce regular trains of continuous waves in order to reproduce telephone vibrations. However, you may be aware that we have succeeded by a different arrangement of apparatus. Indeed, it may interest you to know that one of my most recent experiences has been in connection with some wireless telephone experiments unfortunately i was not in a very favourable position to learn all that was going on but it was quite exciting work i happened to be attached to an atom of copper in a length of wire which had been run up into the air on a sort of flagpole arrangement i need hardly say that i was not alone for by this time you will have become accustomed to picture myriads of electrons occupying a very small space we were set vibrating to and fro with tremendous energy, but what bothered me most was the great variation in our movements. It was the nature of these variations which gave me the clue that we were being controlled by the vibrations of a telephone disc. I can tell you we did make a complex series of waves in the surrounding ether. These waves went out through space and influenced some electrons stationed at a great distance. WHEN THESE ELECTRONS AT THE RECEIVING STATION WERE SET IN MOTION, THEY CONTROLLED THE ELECTRIC CURRENT FROM A LOCAL BATTERY WHICH SET A SECOND TELEPHONE DISC VIBRATING IN SYNCHRONY WITH THE ONE AT THE SENDING STATION. ON QUESTIONING SOME OF MY FELLOW ELECTRONS WHO happened TO HAVE BEEN NEARER THE TRANSMITTING PART OF THE INSTRUMENT THAN I HAD BEEN, I GOT SOME INTERESTING INFORMATION. THEY TELL ME THAT THERE WAS A DYNAMO AND AN arc LAMP IN OUR CIRCUIT while the telephone instrument was in a neighboring circuit. The electron surging to and fro in the telephone circuit influenced those energetic electrons in the arc-lamp circuit to which the aerial wire was attached. You see that my position in the aerial wire was not a very advantageous one for observing what was taking place. This was truly a great achievement, to enable one man to speak to another distant hundreds of miles, and without the aid of any connecting wire. I think you will agree with me that we have excelled all past records in the world of wonders. End of chapter 11.